halfway there. You either got less hair or more coming out everywhere. Getting more deaf, worrying about death. All the tires you got are spare. Unexplained coffin while choosing your coffin. Getting some laughs in and choking on taffy. Squeaking more than a dolphin. Rolling at the kids, soiling undies with skids. Wondering if we fuck it up, can we still make the mic drop? Genexing, texting, vexing, exiting. But not yet, not yet. We're just halfway there. Halfway there. Hi, this is Camilo Fantasia. Hi, this is Jenny Tear. Hi, this is Kim Gaynor, and welcome to Halfway There, a podcast about the new middle age. Hey, hey, what's going on, friend and friend? Not so. <laughs> we'll see Not at the end of the hour what transpires. At the end of this show. You're on thin ice, Jen. Oh, I know. I, just as long as you use the word thin when referring to me. <laughs> <laughs> How is everybody? I am, I'm a little sleep deprived, um, but other than that, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. How about you guys? Do you wake up, like uh, we were talking earlier about you waking up in the middle of the night. Do you wake up and like have memory of like a dream or is it you just wake up with nothing? Mm, I mean, I remember dreams. I sometimes or sometimes I don't or most most of the time I remember dreams like randomly in the middle of the day because something is reminding me of something but no I don't think it's waking up because a bad dream and no mostly I'm not remembering anything at the time I'm waking up I'm just like awake going like what the hell it's 3 a.m why am I awake every time I wake up in the middle of the night I'm aware of like the crazy dream I was having Oh, really? Which is, hmm. I was, I just filled out an online form today. And one of the questions was, please share with the group something they don't know about you. And I was like, this? No, definitely not that. That, oh God, no. I don't want anybody to know this. And I ended up writing down that I have extremely vivid dreams that I can mostly remember when I wake up every night. I am pretty much. Gonna- Spend the rest of the episode thinking of all the things you didn't want to put down on the <laughs> That was and the whole point. I planted the seed. Mm-hmm. I bet I know some of them. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I bet Kim. We probably both do. Patreon, if anybody gets $1,000, you get to know. Part of all of Camila's greatest fears. Yeah. <laughs> well, fears that it gets out there, you mean? Yes, yes. <laughs> My fears, I'm very public about everything, pretty much. That's one of the things mm-hmm. that's keeping me alive. That I, and when I'm driving, I always picture in an intersection, somebody's going to T bone me at like 80 miles an hour. I do that too. And I consider that pretty healthy. Although I wouldn't, that's funny. I wouldn't have thought of you like that, Camila, because you're so sanguine about a lot of things, the future, you're going to live to 150, you know, the medical science will cure us all of everything. Everything's going to get better. So that kind of flies in the face of what I, you know, I think maybe consider to be your natural disposition. That's interesting. I, I guess I see it. Yeah, no, and I see what you mean. I think I see a future where things are more automated as less chaotic. 
because I just mm-hmm. don't trust human drivers. And I know that the technology of like automated cars is not there yet, but, but it will be. And, you know, the other day I was telling Jim, like, Hey, in the future, I bet you cars will have like these, um, what do you call it? Like infrared or, you know, those like glasses that Marines wear that they can detect the heat from bodies and stuff. So they know where there's human beings. So I picture in the future, cars will have that too. And let's say there's a deer about to jump into the road. The car will be like, oh, there's something in the approximate shape of a deer that's going in this direction. So I'm going to slow down. Right. But don't cars already have, I mean, very high tech cars, like collision avoidance. I feel like I've read something like that. Yeah. And I mean, they can't like, drive themselves yet, but I think yeah. we're well on the way there. So hopefully. Okay. So that's the kind of thing that I think about in the future will be better because I, I, be I, I don't have to trust this guy that's like drunk and, you know, sort of weaving through traffic. Okay. Interesting factoid here. One thing they're predicting, if in fact everything that you say comes true, is that it will be a disaster for organ donation because- yeah, it's one of the ethical implications. Oh. Um, organ donation, actually, many of them, if not all, come from car crashes. So but we're already that's making... interesting. How many people in car crashes also need organ donation? <laughs> that's, <true. laughs> that's right. Kim has closed the loophole. <laughs> yeah, maybe. They have like ethical, like they're, they're, I don't know if they have like an ethical circle, but like there's definitely all these ethical questions that come with. You know, they're, also, they're also starting to develop like organ creation in vitro yeah. So, yeah. labs, whatever you want to call it. But so that'll offset. See, the future is amazing. Don't be oh, scared wow. of the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's going so well so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a rough couple of weeks. Oh, you guys, I watched the Brittany Murphy documentary on HBO. Oh. How was that? it was awful it's one of the most exploitative things i've ever seen it's like they re-exploited her all over again it's really unseemly i'd be curious you guys should watch it because it's almost it's almost a masterpiece in how garish and distasteful it is like they and everybody in it comes off as completely disgusting like they have perez hilton on who's doing oh god i can't stand him Oh, terrible. I'd forgotten about Perez Hilton. Oh, he was, a. remember he was like- Oh yeah. A a mainstay of the gossip industry, like pre-social media internet. And he comes on and sort of does this apology for, you know, being completely heinous to everybody. And he predicted (laughs) on the air that she would die. Like they, I guess they do this totally ghoulish thing where they're like oh which celebrity is going to die this year and he predicted Brittany Murphy and then like two weeks later she did die um and he was like I'm so sorry I put that out in the universe and it's it's very it's extremely strange I I sort of recommend you guys watch it just so I can be confirmed that my view is right but anyway it seems like the aughts are back like they're doing this and Britney's man, like, well, yeah, for Britney. once we're talking about a different Britney, but yeah. you know, a, a, a worse fate. It is what, very, let's yeah. hope. It yeah. is. Remember how strange it was too? She died and then like, she was with that guy who sort of was clearly a grifter and then he died like, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. in exactly the same 
way that she did, even though that they were completely different body. I mean, she, she was also com- so completely anorexic by the time she. she but was died. it drug related? It reminds me of, of um, Whitney Houston and then uh, Bobby Christina dying in exactly the same yes. way in a bathtub drowning. Right. Yes. Drug she, system. She was on a ton of prescription meds, but he was so controlling of her she was sick. She got pneumonia. And basically they were, they both were at that point, you know, highly on drugs and very paranoid and they just didn't seek simple medical help. Had she gone to a doctor a day before she'd be alive providing, you know, unless it was Michael Jackson's doctor, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Unless that's let's bring, bring, bring on all the the tragic figures of our youth. Let's mention them all. But anyway, it's, um, that was, that took up part of my weekend. That sounds a little depressing and sad. It was was sad to see her kind of like get double, like exploited in life, exploited in death. Yeah. But so, so you don't, but it sounds to me what you're describing is kind of an indictment of this whole culture in a sense, because it's horrified you. So therefore it's achieved its goal. I suppose. I mean, I think they think they were being noble, but they're really not. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I mean, I found it so tenured in some ways it was like, who made this? It's like TMZ made a de- documentary. That's kind of what it felt like. About was- a dead person. Right, exactly that they completely exploited in life and thought they could wring a little more more money out of the corpse i mean it was it's it's pretty horrifying Hmm. but you know they play clips of her movies and her and clueless and thinking about them you know that movie was so uh definitely was like a pop culture touchstone oh yeah you're a virgin who can't drive <laughs> one of my favorite lines in all of film history i kid you not yes yeah <laughs> fantastic uh-huh. and you know i mean my favorite line from that movie is the one c-list character that's um she's at uh, tennis practice and she's got like nose nose job band-aid on her nose and yeah. she's like um, I can't play because my surgeon said I can't have balls flying at my face. <laughs> Just that made me still makes me laugh to this day. And then someone says, "There goes your Saturday night." I, I think it's uh, oh, Kim, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, you guys are like clueless aficionados. Uh, I kind of am. Well, you, it's yeah. in one of our theme songs. Not yeah, TM, I hope. As um, yeah, yes. TMTM ding, not us. <laughs> <laughs> I have if to. We, if we ever get a season desist, it'll be for that, and I'll just have to cut it out. <laughs> it's oh, it was very good. It was. It's marvelous. Good. It's so problematic with Paul Rudd. Yes, he's a half. This is well trod territory, but it's your half brother, so it's genetically not weird, but still weird. Wait a minute half brother well no no not half he's like he's he's from marriage step step brother right right right. yeah yeah i was like wait a minute i'm looking at this with fresh eyes and it's not (laughs) such an important distinction (laughs) (laughs) yeah the sequel where they have like uh babies that are have uh, that are cyclopses because of 
you know, being closely related. Although what the royal houses of Europe have taught us is that that doesn't happen that often. You just end up with a kind of weird looking person. I was going to say, have you ever seen those people? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they all look like bit, like their heads are sort of like long egg faces. <laughs> they're they're yeah. not a bunch. And I think, I think all of the modern, like the young royalty, they understand that. So they're like, I need to marry one of the plebes. Like that's they, They're trying that's to happening. diversify the gene yeah. pool. Yeah, that's happening they're in smart. the UK. It's happened in Spain. The princes there have all married non, you know. Commoners. Yeah. Is the royal family a big deal in Spain? Uh, they, they are, this is really niche, but they've taken, it, they were. The king yeah. was a hero because he persuaded um, Franco to step down when he was ailing in, in his dotage. And uh, also then we had a coup in 75. Uh, no, maybe a little, I should know this. This is shameful because I did not learn US history. I learned Spanish history. Uh, anyway, there was a coup where the military went into Congress and um, they shot, the guy like shot into the air, uh, Tejero, this military leader. And famously everybody ducked and went under their desks except the leader of the communist party was like, fuck you. Like I'm not, he just stood there. But the Spanish Bernie Sanders, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, I, I believe he had not a single speck of speck strand of hair on his head, but wow. uh, which is the opposite of Bernie. But um, but other than that, yeah, very similar, sort of big cojones, right, and spine. Yeah. But um, you know, the king also like rallied the country to be like, no, we won't accept this, right? Mm -hmm. So. He was a hero, and then in the past few years, it's found out he was, you know, uh, funneling money offshore. He had a girl, a young Swedish or Swiss girlfriend. Yeah. Sorry, I forget which one. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's it's really it, the, the, it's really tarnished the royal family. Even though the current king, which is a son, is fairly popular, and the king is now in self-imposed exile. That former king, Juan Carlos. Self-imposed exile, like living Monaco, like a, yeah, in a, somewhere, <laughs> someplace fabulous. Yeah. Aren't aren't all of these were? I mean, aren't these all of these royal families of Europe pretty much all related to each other? Yeah, exactly. Like, That's why they really need to. That they're they're it's it's not just like yeah. I mean, there is a there's the gene pool of like the British royal family, but like even if they want to diversify to other royals, they're all they're all basically cousins. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I think it was one of the interesting things about World War One is that everybody was related. So it was like you know that was there was like a strong pro-German sentiment in the aristocracy in the UK because. Like they were related to like the Kaiser and all of these people, yeah. you know, and in in Europe, and they're like, well, it's my cousin. I mean, we're at war, but still. Yeah, and in World War II, who was the guy who married the American Wally Simpson? He's the one who abdicated the throne. One yeah. of the Edwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Edwards. Wallace Wallace yeah. Simpson. Yeah. yeah, and they were both like, I mean, it was pretty well known. They were both very pro Nazi. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, speaking of so, uh, pro Nazi, good thing she came along. Yeah, I, speaking of pro Nazi, of pro -Nazi I have to come down as an authoritarian now and move us into our segments. 
God. Wasn't that a beautiful transition? It was the worst transition possible. (laughs) Keeping it classy. Call me a fascist if you must. (laughs) I got to put an end to this conversation. It's too liberal for my taste. And uh, I think I'm going to go first with uh, the kids. Hmm. What are the cool kids up to? What music do they like? Where do they go at night? Are they watching sexy Netflix shows or anime or both? Cool, cool kids like really cool kids. We want to know what you're up to. Ah, as if. All right. So today I'm going to speak to you about something called mukbang. Do you know what that is? Yes, very much. Oh, Kim is oh. Kim is always tuned in to what's happening. Let me guess. Okay, yeah. Of mochi ice cream. (laughs) Well, you are. It's not. You're in like the vicinity of what it is. I'm. I'm You can have a mukbang with mochi ice cream. Oh, you're absolutely right, Kim. You could. You'd probably have a hundred of them, but (laughs) um, but yes. So I got this. I got this information from. Ryan Unger at Mashed and Hannah Sparks at the New York Post, <laughs> the, the Long Island Republican New York Post. Mashed, I don't know what the audience is. Uh, potato lovers, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> so you might, be, you might be wondering, Jen, Kim knows what mukbang is. I so am. in brief, these are videos made by popular YouTubers from around the world, typically featuring huge platters or bowls of, of indulgent fare, all eaten with a plum by charismatic food enthusiasts. The translation to that is these are videos of people eating obscene amounts of food. And binging, are, basically. Binging, yeah. And these videos are attracting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of viewers. Wow. Now, does the concept of watching somebody scarf down food uh, appeal to you personally? I, I can tell you from diving into some of these, it's not for me. Um, <laughs> and I noticed watching a few of these videos is that a lot of it is, um, is preamble. It's foreplay, as you will. It's like, here are the ingredients. Like now I'm preparing them. I'm talking about this food. And then the last few minutes are this person just gorging on this ridiculous amount of food. And it can be like one specific dish in a vast quantity, or it can be just like a bunch of different things that are there. Basically it's an obscene amount of food for one person in one sitting. So um, what fascinated me is that this has now been considered a <laughs> inappropriate or unlawful kink in China. And there were several uh, famous YouTubers and other social media stars from China that basically made a lot of money from this because you can make a lot of money if you have that many views on YouTube and you're now outlawed from doing it in, in, in uh, China. But I like the charming way that the New York Post presented this, which is, China has made the decision to outlaw overt gluttony in public and on social media, which also targets Chinese mukbangers who gorge on camera to the enjoyment of millions of culinary kink fans around the world. And uh, under under the new law, fines up to 100,000 Chinese yuan, about $15,500, 
could be issued to media platforms and publishers who disseminate content featuring large amounts of eating, overeating, and food waste otherwise. So... I might be part of the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> I agree with everything they do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder about that, so Chinese businesses are now going out of their way to ensure that the government doesn't think that they're partaking in any of this gluttony. So businesses and food service providers are now taking steps to quash that which may be considered wasteful. So one restaurant in Changsha, a city in Hunan province, now has a menu that features meal portions commensurate with the customer's body weight. This is according to Vice. And even installed a scale at the entrance so diners could be certain where they weigh in. I really like this. (laughs) But wait a minute. What if they want to gain weight? What if they want to lose weight? I mean, listen, you got to take it with your maintain. You might not want to maintain. You got to go to the local party office and probably get a pass for either or. You know what? I am going to protest. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Never mind. You know what? This is the good news. In the US, you are absolutely free to, it's a free market economy. You want to gorge yourself on whatever kind of food and gain yeah, 80 pounds. Meals. You want to gain 80 pounds for the money, like uh, Nikocado Avocado, who is an extremely popular US based mukbanger i guess he has gained 80 pounds since he started doing this but the cash is too good to stop doing it so the amount of food you can either gain 80 pounds on youtube eating food (laughs) or you can show your your parts on OnlyFans. the economy (laughs) is just life with opportunity you could probably do that on OnlyFans too if yeah you want to just Yes. yes. And um, I wanted you to see a couple screenshots I took of of uh, Nikocado, no, which is loading right I've now. Seen, but... I've seen them before, but yes, do show us and so you guys, our both listeners. Have you watched? I mean, what do you? It sounds completely gross. Is it? It, it, it is. I had to fast forward, to be honest. First of all, it feels like <laughs> certain people I hear they'll load up a porn and then they will fast forward through all of the dialogue just to go see like the actual sexual intercourse. I am told, so this is what these videos felt like. As I told you, there was a lot of preamble. So I'm like, okay, okay, show me the eating so I can see what it looks like. So I fast forward to the eating and then immediately had to tune out. Now, another YouTuber that I looked at is a Korean and uh, her name is Zuyang. And she shocks these kind of island villagers. She's in a remote island in Korea. She shocks them by bringing her three kilos of basically bacon, pork shoulder, and telling them that she's going to eat that all by herself. And she's this dainty little thing. There's absolutely no chance this stuff is staying in her body afterward. Either she has the most aggressive IBS or she's getting rid of those calories because she is a pencil thin of a ideal human being and that's probably the i was going to mention this uh, camilo because you mentioned nico avocado gaining all this weight but i have watched some of these um i do i do find them kind of fascinating and a weird phenomenon and 
And one thing I've noticed is that a lot of them don't seem to gain any weight. And that is really suspect yeah. and concerning. I mean, it's all concerning. Yeah, because they're creating this fantasy that you can actually do this. Um, although I was looking at the comments under Nico, uh, Nico Avocados and people are like, there were several people who were like, what are you doing to yourself? Like, yeah. you know, it's, this is not good, but they're still watching. It just sounds completely Roman. Like the vomitorium <laughs> is, is alive and well on YouTube. I, I just, it just seems completely decadent. I don't know. I think we're in for re a really rough time. I, it, the world feels synthetically bizarre. I, I, I can't help it. I mean, I, I, people have the freedom to do what they want, but I, I just can't think that this is like signs of a healthy society. Am I wrong? I mean, I wonder because it's not exactly a new phenomenon. It's just on social media. I mean, we've had uh, the 4th of July hot dog eating contest in Coney Island for what, at least 50 yeah. years and, um, you know, pie eating contests, like that's what's more American than that. I mean, that those are, I mean, we think of those of, of relics think of those as relics of yesteryear, but it's yeah. kind of the same concept. I remember watching uh, either kind of a news feature or documentary uh, about the Coney Island contest. And some of the guys are big, but the Japanese guy, I forget his name now, yeah. who won for mm -hmm. years and years, tiny. Some of the, the yeah. some of them, they have their ways around it. They don't, they don't eat normal calorie intake to make up for these, you know, training, quote unquote, and these contests, or they're like extreme exercisers. Um, yeah. If anybody, if any of them are purging that the food, they, they don't say it, you know? Right. Yeah. I yeah. can't see, I can't, I've never been able to watch the, the Coney Island. It, I, my gag reflex activates watching people eat very fast. So I'm, I'm yeah, it's I've disgusting. Um, it's very strange. It does seem like it's part of, I guess, human society. You're right. It's been with us literally since the Romans. But um, are you are you aware um, of? I became aware of something a few years into being gay, which is a subculture, which I think also exists in the heterosexual community because it's based on weight and it's the gainer and encourager sub right. sub yeah uh, I gainer guess, feeder yeah i guess it's a kink you know where sort of these two people hook up because one enjoys watching another person eat a lot and gain weight and the other one is up for it um mm -hmm. i'm not sure if there's a dominant passive structure in, in that I don't, I don't know enough but but I remember that being around years ago and finding out that a couple I knew they that's what they were you know that was part of their relationship and it just was one of them really um fat yeah I mean he was on his way to to being obese if I recall and um you know we're not here to kink shame anybody ever but I find it really fascinating. I just, I didn't realize that that was that type of culture. So 
So I understand that there's an audience out there for this kind of thing. Maybe that's just what interests you. Although apparently there's an ASMR aspect to it. Most of us don't really enjoy listening to people chew and, okay. you know, I, I don't, I don't, it's, it's not great um, for me anyway, like loud chewing or whatever, but, um, but apparently there's an ASMR aspect where, where uh, do of you know what that means? Auditory, sensory. I was just thinking, I know it stands for something, but I know what it means. Yeah. It so, means that you get like tingles or like mm-hmm. sensations of back, pleasant sensations in the back of your neck that that yeah. from from listening to certain auditory input. Exactly. Some people eating. enjoy <laughs> Jen's trying to she, are you giving us your, your lip smacking ASMR? <laughs> yeah, I thought somebody might be listening to <laughs> We should become an ASMR podcast, right? But mm-hmm. um so it could be like somebody running their nails over coarse paper. It could mm. be somebody just whispering sweet nothings to you. And apparently it could be somebody downing three kilos of, of grilled Korean bacon. So, you know, there's just, it's just an interest for everyone. I think last week we were talking about enjoying watching pimple popping <laughs> so that's not an auditory but there's like a weird satisfaction to to watching it as kim gags i bet if you have a sensitive enough mic though it could be asmr i mean that's disgusting but yeah especially those real pussy ones if a pimple is popped in the woods and nobody's there to hear it did you really pop it properly no, you need it on YouTube. Um, it's it has to be recorded. I mean, I think it's interesting that the Chinese government keeps on on. They seem to take a, a really harsh moral stand on what they consider decadence. Um, I murder, also, not so much. <laughs> what's that? State murdered. Yeah, not so much. Concentration camps, eh, good to go. <laughs> you need them for a espionage and stealing of copyrighted. Yeah, call plans, you know, bring it on. Um, I had also read that the Chinese government forbids any images of destruction. Like they don't know, no um, doomsday dystopian action where, you know, Shanghai is being, Beijing rather, is being like blown up and they take up absolutely harsh line, especially with Hollywood too, that that is completely off limits. If you want to film in China, if you want to like release the movie, there can be no images of destruction, which I think is, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Like I, I think of all the movies here that have like are endlessly gorging themselves on America. The White House blowing up. Blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's a difference though. Because I think the White House blowing up is inherently, it, it really, I think it's satisfying for almost everyone, right? Like any institution <laughs> of power. And I think that's different from seeing like New York City being destroyed, right? Like it's, or San Francisco, which is probably the second most destroyed city than LA, but. Yeah, the White House is a symbol. Yeah. New York City, uh, it's yeah. more debatable. I think Congress should be blown. You know, I'm going to take a really unpopular position here, but those fools and clowns in Congress, they don't get anything done. So that's the one I want to see blow up. And alleged in fiction only, I want to make it clear. This is yeah. not I was just going to say, yes. there was a real life event that 
kind of mirrors that, what yeah. you were talking about happened on January 6th. I don't I'm like it. I'm about to ask you where you were January 6th. You <laughs> <laughs> just totally missed that news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's very, It's. I mean, it's interesting. It's, uh, I wish I were less disturbed by a lot of it. I just guess I see it as part of a pretty unhealthy culture. And you know what's fascinating? Do you know where this trend originated? I want to say in South Korea. You're, you nailed it. So we've got South Korea is giving us everything these days. They're giving us K-pop. They're giving us the hottest beauty trends. And they're giving us overeating on YouTube, among other things. Yeah. Oh, it's, and, it's and Squid Game, of course. And none of this stuff can go together. Because after you've like, after you pounded like 30 pounds of food, you're supposed to get up and sing and dance like, you know, a pop star and have clear glowing glass skin. Like, I mean, what the fuck, Korea? Yeah. Perfect segue. Let's hear about health and beauty. Okay. Oh, I just want to be pretty. Give me your potions, give me your serums, even your unwent. But that perfect workout, baby, oh no, I can't. I just want to be pretty. Health and beauty. Okay, how much water do you do you drink? Loads. I'm asking, how much water do you think you drink? You drink loads of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From years of health, why? Because when Kim and I were in college in the theater program, we had a, a what I would say, wonderful, but highly militant voice teacher. Oh, May she rest in peace. May she, she, she died way too young, several years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And she was like a beacon for me because A, she believed in me. I don't, I don't know how you feel about her, Kim, but I feel like she believed in me. She let me assist the dialects class in the, which blew my mind because I already had a crazy Spanish accent to start with. At the you time. did. Yeah. I remember it. So that was but I was really enjoyed learning the dialect. So I really went through the motions of like learning the sounds and everything. So, yeah. And she was just fantastic. I mean, she had a, she had a very resonant voice that was powerful. And I think of all the things I learned in that program, hers were the most useful because it's all about controlling your breath. If I had become an actor and done like shows night after night, that's a key that's essential. And she was so good at teaching us that. What, what, wait a minute. I don't remember the, the where does the water come from? Okay, so I'm that... the, but I just it just stuck in my head. She was like, always be drinking water. Like it was just, you know, she said, if you're third, I'll never forget this. She said, if you're thirsty, it's too like you should have drunk before. Yeah. I've so, heard that. Yeah. And that just always stuck with me. So I've, I'm always, I always have a glass of water with me no matter what. It, Got it. That's one of the reasons I have to get up in the middle of the night. I do. I have to like cut back maybe late at night. But um, yeah, I have. I always be drinking for, you for when you become an old man. But we can. We can. I'm already there. Oh, I'm already at the getting oh. up to pee in the night stage. Oh, man. Yeah, Pro- prostates and 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 man, it's it's a. It's a anyway, carry on. Kim, how how much water do you drink? Um, I less than the I think recommended. Although I'm sensing where this is going that's starting to be challenged i think the the conventional wisdom though is eight glasses eight eight ounce glasses a day 
I don't drink that. I probably drink like, I mean, half of that, but I drink other beverages. For me, wine counts, beer counts, juice mm-hmm. counts. Like I'm, I'm counting all that towards my total. Yes. So. Well, I have sourced yet another article from the failing New York Times. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not very creative with my sources. And this one is titled, How Much Water Do You Actually Need? And it's by Christy Ashwanton. I'm sorry, Christy. I'm terrible with things. Notoriously awful, okay? Um, Anyway, the first paragraph goes, if you spend any time on social media or visited an athletic event lately, you've surely been bombarded with encouragements to drink more water. Celebrity influencers lug around gallon-sized water bottles as the hot new accessory. Blah, blah, blah. The purported benefits of excess water consumption are seemingly endless from improved memory and mental health to increased energy and to better complexion. Stay hydrated has become a new version of the old salutation. Stay well. Uh, but guys, Uh-oh. Um, here's the truth. You really should only drink whenever you're thirsty. So it says this article. <laughs> We've all been taught that eight ounce glasses of water per day is the magic number for everyone, but that notion is a myth, says Tamara Hugh Butler, an exercise and sports scientist at Wayne State University. So you need to factor, they say you need to factor like your body weight that you don't need to basically drink as much as somebody who's like 250 pounds. You should always drink according to like how much activity you've done. So they have this pretty funny example, a 200 pound person who just hiked 10 miles in the heat will obviously need to drink more water than a 120 pound office manager who spent the day in a temperature controlled building. Sassy. Um, Liking posts on Facebook. And liking posts, right, exactly. I don't know, that that requires a lot of energy, guys, so. You'll be happy with this. Do I have to drink water to stay hydrated? Not necessarily. Oh, good. <laughs> drink your beer and your wine and your coffee. Yes. Um, Enable water, me, please. <laughs> yes, is a better choice. Um, and you can also drink too much water. Um, Hyperhidrosis. So What's up? Hyperhidrosis. Exactly. Um, but drinking more water, even when I'm thirsty will improve my health, right? No, of course, people with certain conditions like kidney stones can benefit from more water, but in reality, most people, healthy people who blame feeling ill on being dehydrated may actually be feeling off because they're drinking too much water. Um, it F's up your electrolytes. I know a friend who wound up in the hospital. Yes. And because you can see was trying to n- not to eat. Yeah, it's called water intoxication. This yes, that's exactly what happened. And bad, said Dr. Heinemann. If the sodium levels in your blood get too low, it can cause brain swelling and neurological issues like seizures, coma, or even death. You can die. Yeah, in 2007, a 28-year-old woman died after reportedly drinking nearly two gallons of water over three hours. While okay, taking- but come on, <laughs> Sorry, Camilo, you better put that water bottle what is down. She, but she's out of control. I know. Lady, come on. Listen to this. She was taking part in a radio station's Hold Your your We for We contest, 
which challenged participants to drink water and then go as long as possible without urinating. Oh, but I that mean, would have that, that should have been branded as hold your wee for a week. I mean, look, I can only I, imagine what that funeral was like. That's um, very tragic, but I mean, wow, I mean, the, the the complete lack of common sense of some people is it's kind of shocking. I mean, your, your stomach and your bladder can only hold so much liquid. They are containers that have a limit. And I mean, and in addition to the water intoxication, you could physically burst, you know, presumably if you, if you drink a certain amount. It's true. Jenny, and- can I answer your question as to what that funeral would have been like? Yeah. <laughs> Not Man. a dry eye in the house. Ew. That's well, really he'll be here next week, weird. folks. <laughs> um, I'll be here next week with order the uh, order 30, yeah. 30 of the pork. Yeah, and, uh, and water bottle. on YouTube. So at the end of the day, how do you know you're hydrated enough? Your body will tell you. The notion that staying hydrated requires complex calculations and adjusting to avoid dire health consequences is just bunk, the experts said. And one of the best things you can do is to stop overthinking it. Drink when you're thirsty. It really is that easy. Boom. You know what I found interesting about this article is just the shifting nature of health advice and like how things become trendy. And then a couple of years later, like 10 years later, they get D. De- bunked basically and then 10 yeah they're like just kidding that'll kill you it's kind of annoying i know you know what the most recent one that surprised me is that like salt's not so bad yeah i i don't have any oh that's any evidence to i just saw a headline somewhere and i should have followed up but it's true unless you have hypertension yeah in which case you should avoid sodium remember also remember when it was all the rage to eat like margarine you know vegetable oils and shit like that now of course that's that stuff is just dreadful for you yeah it's full of trans fats now it's the exact opposite they're like this is terrible for you animal fats are so much better ultimately yeah the the whole i can't believe it's not butter yet it's going to kill me much faster should be the new branding yeah satire satire allegedly well (laughs) i mean most vegans eat that stuff though the vegan diet comprises a lot of vegetable oils i think Mm -hmm. i mean no offense to any vegans but um it seems like there's a lot of synthetic foods involved in in it i think unless you know really what you're doing with the vegan diet like there are people who know how to cook very creatively just with vegetables and basic but if you're a vegan and you're not just using olive oil for almost anything what even what what right i i'm i'm hoping that that's what's going to keep me alive to 150 because honestly i've been using olive oil i mean just copious amounts never ever giving any thought to like the you know the hundreds of calories that i'm adding to food i never think about it but amen amen yeah yeah everything i read says that that's healthy yeah. You know, yeah. EG at Mediterranean diet and um it's heart healthy and yeah. yeah, so I don't I don't use any of those other yucky oils. Yeah, synthetic oils. 
Um, well, anyway, just drink when you're thirsty. I will say this. I do have an anecdote. Last year, I got a bunch of those smart waters with electrolytes because I was like, oh, I need to start drinking flat water. And I didn't realize that I'd bought like many bottles with the kind of pH balanced water. And I drank a bunch of them in a row and it gave me the most horrific heartburn. Like Oof. it totally fucked up my, I think my body chemistry to the point where it was burning when I was, you know, eating or drinking and I Googled like smart water heartburn. And of course a bunch of stuff came up. That's so interesting because isn't it supposed to be, that sounds like you were having acid, but isn't it supposed to be pH balanced? Or maybe like, is so- it this stuff with like electrolytes in it. And I, Oh, okay. So maybe something else. Well, yeah. Maybe yeah, actually, she, chugged, she chugged five Gatorades is what she's trying to tell us. Yeah. One after the other. Moral of the story is just get your liquids in the form of 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 hard liquor. Um, That's what Jen has told us. Uh And I've followed that advice for a long time now. And I'm doing fine. I want to say it all. We gotta we gotta move on to the next segment, but I do want to say that in medieval times, water was so gross and contaminated for the most part, they just drank beer. And yeah. they, they managed to live to the ripe age of like 35, usually, and sometimes. <laughs> they were lucky. Yeah. And did you see their teeth? <laughs> <It was like laughs> yeah. One, one, like... I don't know, front tooth in their entire mouth. That they I think that had more to do with like toothbrushes were not invented. True. Yeah. Do you hear that, Phoebe? We're trying to get my And dogs. commercialized grains as well. Corn. Yes. The advent of corn meant that people's teeth became really, really bad. Yeah. I watched the whole thing about it. Oh, that's yeah. cool. On the yeah, plus side, is. then you could put a kernel in place of a tooth, just jam it in <laughs> That's it for me. Health and beauty. Just be normal. Thanks, Jenny. We'll try. We just talked about medieval times. Let's like flip the script and talk about the future. Oh, How's very that? good. Okay. That's great. In 30 years, stuff will be different. How different? We don't know. But we'll speculate for the show. Come along for the ride. Okay, well, so guys, I hate to bring it around to something kind of really heavy, but I don't know, kind of like doing that. Um, just want to shake things up a little bit. But as you know, if you are an avid listener, uh, this segment is about the future. And I really was thinking about hot button items and and just the state of, of absolute division of the United States right now and just projecting into the future what that's gonna be like. And so I've been thinking about the future of race. Everybody just take a sip of something alcoholic. (laughs) Let's be nice to each other. Assume the best, Uh, kumbaya, okay? But you know, sometimes it's good to think about these things. So I've got some information, some statistics, that come from Brookings EDU, which is a think tank that um, sits in a tank and and thinks about things. Um, So they were uh, reporting on the 2020 census. This was actually 
based on some of the preliminary findings. And I actually think that we're still waiting for the entire findings of the 2020 census, if I'm not mistaken. But um, in any case, there's a lot of information that is available. And so the US Census Bureau, this is from Brookings EDU, uh, has just released its last batch of race ethnic population estimates in advance of the 2020 census. I think we are slowly getting more of this information, but all of it is bearing this out. So the data indicates that the national headcount will, will reveal a more diverse nation than was previous, previously expected, which, hey, wow, that's, that's, that's brave as far as I'm concerned. Especially the new since the administration did everything to suppress minorities from participating in the census, sorry. Just threw that in there. Yeah, sure. But can I just say like a uh, like personal anecdote? I was stalked to the point of like fearing for my personal safety <laughs> by the Census Bureau. So in my case, um, they were really trying to get this Black person to give my um, results. And I did. I did fill it out. I wasn't trying to avoid it for any reason. And also I was a census taker in, in 2000. We could have a whole episode about the weird shit that I encountered in, in New York. But anyway, guys, so the new estimates show that nearly four of 10 Americans identify with a race or ethnic group other than white and suggest that the 2010 to 2020 decade will be the first in the nation's history in which the white population declined in numbers. So that's kind of a very striking milestone. Um, it goes on to give a few more statistics that I think are, that are interesting and really kind of feeding into some social trends uh, slash and or ills that we're seeing um, in American society and politics, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the the, the uh, division that I that I referenced earlier. So, rise in Latinos. That's that's one of uh, the next sections. So, the past several censuses have increased racial and ethnic diversity amongst the U.S. population. I already said that. Um, but what's interesting is in 1980. Uh, white residents comprised almost 80% of the national population. Black residents accounted for 11.5%, and Latino or Hispanic residents uh, were at 6.5%, and Asian Americans at 1.8%. So uh, that was in 1980, and by 2000, the Hispanic or Latino population showed a slightly higher share than black population. So 12.6% Latino and Hispanic versus 12.1% uh, blacks. Uh, and the Asian population bumped up to about 3.8%. Um, and during this time, the white population dropped nearly 10 percentage points to 69.1%. Percent. Um, uh, an interesting side note to that is that prior to, to 1980, people of Mexican descent, at least, were counted as white uh, by the C Census Bureau, and now they're counted as non-white. 
So there's a lot of complexities to this because some of those people who are now counting as non-white might themselves identify as white. Um, but in any case, the, the, the trend itself is towards diversity, um, what are considered minority groups growing and what is considered the majority, i.e. white people shrinking. Um, and so it also goes on to say that the declining white population is pervasive across the nation, except for Washington, D.C. It's in all 50 states. Uh, it has declined since 2010. So I, I think, guys, I, I, there's a lot of questions and a lot of, of answers to be mined from this. You know, what does that mean? Obviously, the things that come to mind for me are political power. Uh, another source, um, most sources say that by 2040, that's conventional wisdom, that the United States will become, it will flip in terms of, of minority majority. So what are now minority groups will be in the majority and white people will be in the minority. Um, so in terms of political representation, in, in terms of just the entire structure of American society, what does that mean? Um, I think we're seeing a lot of pushback in regards to you know, what's being taught in schools, critical race theory. Uh, in Texas, for example, we've heard this news item uh, about a, a House Bill 3979, which is law in Texas now, basically, which has been interpreted in this one case that uh, anything that is quote unquote controversial, i.e. the Holocaust, you guys, Texas is, is defining the Holocaust as something controversial, which I think is sickening. Um, they've determined, and this bill is, is, is saying that there needs to be a quote unquote opposing view to it. And that's not just the Holocaust, it's slavery, it's, it's you know, how we talk about race. I mean, we could have a, a whole discussion about critical race theory, but the people who are opposing it in a lot of cases are super right-wing elements of the government. The, the Trump administration, uh, for example, Texas politicians with this House Bill 3979, it's... I think a something that we need to tackle and something that we need to discuss and and whether that means that you know we start looking at things completely differently than we're used to because this minority and and majority uh, narrative will be completely flipped on its head. It's something that we all have to grapple with. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, are you, are you stressed about being a minority at some point in the next few years? No, bring it, bring it. Yes. On, on the one hand, as a gay person, I, I'm conflicted about, not conflicted, I think overall it's a good thing. But minorities do, especially immigrants, like first generation immigrants do tend to bring conservative values with them. So they, they and they tend to come from countries, look, where, homosexuality is more frowned upon than it is currently here. 
So on the surface, it might appear like it's negative, but as second generation emerges, I guess, for want of a better word, they absorb kind of the values of the youth of the time. So second generations tend to be way more progressive than their forebears. So I think that's, I think overall, so the trend is good um, because especially they're people of color, they're, they're dealing with minority status so far, as you said, and so they have a better understanding of what it's like to be oppressed in some way or another, right? And to move within structures that are designed to hold them back and to keep the white power ahead. So, yeah, I mean, you know. You just spouted off, you just spouted off uh, CRT, critical race theory, and just didn't, didn't, didn't you just kind of assume that to be true? Is that where you... Is Wait, that where is support, supporting critical race theory, theory is good though, right? <laughs> well, well there, there's a whole debate about it. In yeah. my opinion, you know, I think it's very telling. I, I think the debate is, is, is warranted and um, it's healthy. But if you look at who's aligning themselves against, and I think that there's room for criticism and, and any theories we adopt in our society and part of, you know, making us stronger is democratic thought and, and, you know, being able to question things, but I'm just looking at who's aligning themselves against it and for what reasons. And I find it pretty suspect. What, am I clear that I'm not aligned against it? Like whatever you No, yeah, no, no, you you asked me, you, you, well, you asked me, isn't that a good thing? And I said, well, you know, my, my, my answer is basically not to everybody, but I want to say uh, this. I do not like, okay. I'm going to be a dissenting voice here. I do not like, I do not like the Robin D'Angelo school of critical race theory. The idea that like, there's this ineffable kind of sin of whiteness. I just don't, I don't think that's healthy for a democracy, especially a multiracial one. Like I believe that Robin D'Angelo could go into the, by the way, she gets paid $12,000 an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that really bugs me. And I strongly believe, and there is no material analysis in any of her books. She never says making things more economically equal will help. Like she completely strays away from that. I think she could go into the upper management of Amazon and I'm sure she has, she's highly, she's highly sought after. And I think she could go into any corporate boardroom, any bank and basically tell them like how to be anti-racist and, and none of those men, largely white men would sacrifice any fucking thing to make anyone's life better. And that really bothers me. So that part of like this discussion, I think has been really exploited by corporations and powerful people. Yeah, yeah, sure. They're, they're, very, they're very quick to trot her out. But I mean, Robin D'Angelo is not the, you know, she's not the primary sort of architect of critical race theory. Most she of those people are people of color. And yeah. that's probably, and one of the issues is, you know, are, are we saying, are we just kind of react, reenacting these same uh, power structures by bringing yeah. in white people to tell us about these power structures? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. have, I have experienced something like that um, recently. And, you know, I, I was asked to come to this thing. I, it wasn't really a choice. 
I was one of the only black people there. And I felt like I needed to give up my like painful experiences around race um, so that white people could learn. I mean, there's just gotta be a different, I I do think, you know, at, at one time I had read the book and I thought, okay, well this, this is the answer because I know that if I, if I bring, if I give this to a white friend, they're going to listen to this white lady a lot, a lot sooner than they'll listen to me because some of, some of, you know, some of uh, the things that she brings up are true, but your, Jen, I think your critique of, you know, how this is implemented in corporate structures and, you know, what I'm saying that it just might be reenacting these same power structures and and oppressing rather than doing the opposite. I think that's totally valid. I think um, she gives people cover and that really bothers me. It really bothers me that she consistently shirks like any material analysis. To, to divorce the history of race in this country from economics, I think is deeply intellectually dishonest. I really do. I have, I have a real problem with it. Maybe because, you know what, I'll, I'll use an example from my own life. My father was born in a Philadelphia slum. He was an Al- Albanian Muslim and, and he never talked about his childhood. It was very, very painful. His parents died when he was really young. He had to drop out of high school. He went to work in a factory. He was not considered white, weirdly. Like he was considered a Slav- Slavic, I guess. That's what he was sort of referred to. I, I think he had experienced quite a few ethnic slurs. Like we sort of, he sort of hinted at it, but I think it was painful enough that he never indulged in talk about it. We were curious because it was like our grandparents were, you know, my grandmother was a child bride from Albania. I was kind of curious, like died in, I think 1940, you know, I mean, I have no, absolutely zero understanding of the woman because my dad just didn't talk about it but he was not considered white when he was growing up but he when he died he was an old white man and 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 that's uh that's true there are shifting and I don't think I don't think critical race theory would deny that there this is part of the reason Race is a social construct. It doesn't make it any less powerful. And race shifts over time. Concepts of race that people themselves make up shift over time. That's part of the problem. Yeah. I think for me, what's really, I don't want to say the word interesting, but maybe fascinating about all this is that I don't really have a strong sense of national identity. So for me, for me, the whole concept of a nation's history is let's, you know, I'm just taking it back to education is let's teach our children and young adults what happened. Mm-hmm. This is what happened. This person had slaves. This could not have occurred without the con- con- of the, our building, you know, Congress, the Capitol wouldn't exist or would be in a different form if it hadn't been built by slaves. So to me, this is all factual information. And to me, it's not an assault on my national identity to acknowledge that without slavery, this country wouldn't exist in the shape that it's in. Yeah. But to me, to me, I, and I don't know if, and I, and I trust and believe that children and young adults are intellectually and emotionally capable of accepting this information and still not live life with an overbearing sense of guilt. Like this whole white guilt thing 
that we're trying to push onto children, according to right wing, you know, uh, detractors of this. To me, that's not a thing. It's not a real thing. I don't think that the youth of America will go through life feeling I'm white, I'm guilty of something horrible. I think we can all come together and say, okay, this shit happened. It fucking sucks. How can we be better? And how can we make amends? But but again, I don't have a strong sense of being like, America is a perfect country. Like we can't mess with its or, you know what I mean? But uh, yes, but Camila, you don't think white people experience white guilt? I, 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 I do. From, I from my do. point of view. You like, do or you don't, Jen? I do. I'm, I'm on a college campus. So I'm no. seeing these, these arguments play them. I'm seeing the actual, mm. I'm seeing this stuff play itself out. And it's a very weird vibe. And, but I don't think that it's incompatible. Yeah. And I don't think it's incompatible to feel white guilt and still be able to carry on with your life and try to be a better citizen. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not taking over my life on a, on a daily basis. I don't know. Maybe there's, there's just people out. I think people out there can't deal with the identity of America being messed with right? Like the best country in the world, blah, 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 blah. And those, no, I don't think Jen, I don't think that's you, but I think that's right-wing reactionaries, you know? One of the most interesting, I don't know where I saw this, someplace on social media, probably stolen from somebody who stole it from somebody. Um, And I'm sorry, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it really gave me, it made me pause and think, which, and it was something like the problem with race in America today is that we, teach slavery as the history of black people, but really it's the history of white people. It's the history of America. And when you flip it on that side, I mean, when you, when you flip it um, like that, it's, it is, it's, well, I don't know, it's not confronting to me, but it, it surely must be confronting for some white people. It is, but I'll say this, like my ancestors were Irish. They came here in the potato famine. My, my other members of my family were were Albanian Muslims like I, I they came here in the 1920s and I you know I'm not a I'm not a Mayflower baby I didn't like I'm not a Jamestown per- person like my uh, my family by virtue of the fact that they could shift into whiteness they they they've benefited from the structures inherently like that are part of the foundations of this country Right, um, which black people are not right. able to shift into whiteness. Right. right. I mean, my issue now with this country is like fucking treat your people decently. I mean, just give them fucking health care. Like give them child care, give them housing. Like the, the incapacity of like baby boomer. I'm sorry, I, I do blame that generation for a lot. But it's like that that's my frustration is I'm like, fucking help people. Because I think if we go into the next century with Americans getting more and more desperate and I don't care what color they are, like we're not in for a, it's not gonna be a a particularly happy place. Cause I think a lot of people come here because they want their children to do better, right? Like that and is, they do do better. I mean, lot, come on. I mean, do. It, this is all relative. If you, you're coming from uh, some rural place in, in I, I, I'm not going to name any countries, but there are lots, vast areas of the world living in abject poverty. Of course yeah. they do well here, even if that means them working 80 hours a week uh, yeah. mopping up a kitchen. 
they're doing better. But so, I will say I have talked to many immigrants just in in um, New York, you know, talking to Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, you know, app delivery guys, just being a decent human being and asking them about their lives. How are you? How yeah. do you like it here? You know, just having conversations, treating them like actual bona fide human beings and not just a imported servant class. And, you know, it's a really bittersweet answer they give me a lot of times like about being here you know it's like you kind of get the sense they felt like they were sold a bill, bill of goods oh i'm that's sure been, that's been my experience we all were yeah yeah Kim, this you know, is an amazing topic do you do you want to wrap it up for us um yeah yeah we can, I, I we can talk say, about this on the next episode oh uh, yeah soon. yeah it's, it's endlessly fascinating yeah. and i think these discussions are good to have and if more people could have them without yelling at each other or you know yeah. killing each other that would be good um one thing too i think i i'd like to leave us with that is it's not probably as cut and dry as even like the census details um will will reflect one one major one major um development coming in the future is that that we're increasingly very very mixed so maybe at some point we we actually won't be able to even talk about majority and minority and and these you know strict sort of definitions that are we all all can see are are bullshit will kind of fade i'm not sure if that's you know, the solution that just is something that is happening. So um, a lot of, a lot of Americans do not, do not identify as black or white or Asian or any one category. So, I mean, that's also something we need to deal with multiracial people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, for one, welcome this development as a pretty lily white person. I, I think we're all Americans and, and, it sounds like stupidly nationalistic, but I do believe the old motto, e pluribus unum, in, out of many, we are one. We're all in it together. That's the dream. That's yeah. The dream. I know it's complicated. I know it's ugly. And I, I think I will say this. I did see something on social media and I thought it was a really like, you know, you see some things that really arrest you. And it said it was essentially the quote was like focusing on America's virtue to, like over dra dramatizing its virtue and then over dramatizing its vice are both the same thing. You're saying it's still exceptional. You're still, you're still like saying it's American exceptionalism, exceptional in its vice and exceptional in its virtue. And it's not. And I think there's, there's some real truth to it. And I think the left now is hung up on its vice to a degree that sometimes hurts us. It's you know true. And we ought to, we ought to just look at China more often <laughs> and just thank our lucky okay. stars. Most mentioned, most mentioned foreign country on the show, China, what next South Korea, who knows, like yeah. Russia third. Uh, okay, so you know, what else, you know what else is exceptional? You know what else is exceptional? A listener who leaves us five stars on Apple oh, Podcasts, Spotify, or so exceptional. whatever they listen to. So please leave five-star review uh, or... Um, no, and a written review. It doesn't have to be long. It can just say, Camilo is gorgeous. Um, Kim is Kim's a 10. 
a 10 or a tw uh, even a 12 a, dare I a say. 12 Jen out of 10 great at pronoun pronunciation Jenny <laughs> <laughs> wins every spelling bee she's ever entered and uh follow us at at halfway there the podcast on facebook instagram what else that's it oh, uh, our our halfway yeah oh yeah join that's our patreon at halfway there the podcast and also yeah kim email our us, right? gmail is halfway there the podcast at gmail.com please drop us a line and just uh chat with us we'd love to interact uh with our listeners, trust me, if you send an email, I will have a response for you probably within 40 seconds to a minute. That is how often and how much anticipation we refresh. are checking. Refresh, refresh, yeah, refresh, 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 yeah. Don't leave so. us on read. That's right. <laughs> Keep it perky. We Keep it perky, y'all. Keep it so perky. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> well, that was fun. This has been halfway there, but it's also the end. The end of this episode of Halfway There. You get it. <laughs>